Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, with features on Joanna Hogg's The Souvenir, Olivier Assayas's Nonfiction, a special section on the 50th anniversary of Film Society of Lincoln Center, reviews of new, forthcoming, and streaming releases, and more. Subscribe today at filmcomment.com. Present Tense is a new filmcomment.com column by me, Sheila O'Malley, where I write about the various intersections of film, literature, art, and culture. Check out Present Tense and other regular columns on filmcomment.com. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. I'm Nicholas Rapold, the Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment. Joanna Hogg's new film, The Souvenir, is on the cover of our current issue, and it's the latest example of a masterful filmmaker working at the height of her powers. The film centers on a young woman in 1980s London trying to find her voice as an artist while entangled in a relationship with a self-destructive and seductive older man. Sheila O'Malley writes about what makes Hogg's work so beautiful and so affecting in her cover story. Joanna Hogg stands back from her characters, letting them move around, disappearing and then reappearing, personality, story, and subtext revealed through interaction and body language. Hogg resists the urge to move in close, and yet the effect is not distancing at all. It's sometimes painfully intimate. For our latest episode, I talked with Sheila O'Malley and with Michael Koreski about Joanna Hogg and the Souvenir, which stars Andra Swinton Byrne, Tilda Swinton, and Tom Burke. Let's go to the conversation. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name's Nick Rapold. I'm the editor-in-chief of Film Comment. And this is a podcast devoted to our cover story for our May-June issue, which is the, I can't say enough about it, wonderful, marvelous, kind of miraculous uh, in, in what it does, uh, The Souvenir, directed by Joanna Hogg and starring Honor Swinton Byrne and... Tom Burke. <laughs> Thank you. And, and you've already realized by now that there are other people in the room with me. So uh, let's let's introduce them. Um, I, I'm very pleased to be joined by the author of our terrific cover story. Sheila O'Malley. Who is also a regular columnist uh, on our website with Present Tense, uh, most recently writing about Marlon Brando and Infinite Jest. I'll leave it at that so you can read and see the connection. We're also pleased to be joined by... Michael Koreski, Director of Editorial and Creative Strategy, Film and Lincoln Center, and also a Film Comment columnist. That's true, yeah. Um, and actually, we'll be having a special Film Comment talk pegged to the column. That's true. We can talk about it later, but June 27th. June 27th. Come so here. Mark your calendar. But The Souvenir is the film of the hour, and Joanna Hogg is the woman woman of the year, uh, Well, in, in, in movies at least. And... Um, I thought we maybe start off, Sheila, if you just want to talk about your piece a little bit or tell us a bit what the movie is, just so people um, know going in. Okay, so The Souvenir is her fourth feature. And if you watch them all, there's um, Unrelated was her first feature, which I think was like 10 years ago. And then um, Arca Pelago and Exhibition. Those were her uh, three films coming up to this one. The Souvenir is about her, it's frankly autobiographical, about her time in film school in the 80s. So what's so interesting about this is that she is coming to this material, you know, 
20, 30 years afterwards and re-entering her experience as a young woman trying to figure out what kind of artist she wants to be. Um, and Honor Swinton Byrne gives this inc just incredible performance as the young Julie, who is in film school. She's kind of obsessed with the uh, sort of Margaret Thatcher's you know, England and what's happening to the shipbuilding industry. And she feels like she wants to do a project on that. This is how the film sort of opens. She's been taking all these pictures of the devastation of the shipyards. And then a man comes into her life. It's weird talking about this movie in terms of what happens doesn't really sort of there's, it doesn't, it's not really about what happens. It's more of a psychological, emotional kind of somewhat fragmented portrait of this young woman trying to become an artist. It's like James Joyce, portrait of the artist as a young man. You know, it's very self-involved. It's like, what am I? Well, I loved your interview that you did with her, Nick, because she was like, I'm looking at my, like, what are the things in my life that inspired me? It's an artist saying, what, do, uh, what is the music that I loved? What are the paintings that inspired me and why? How did all of these things come together to make me an artist? And how do I, you know, let some things go that, I, that need to be let go? And how do I accept and, oh, you know what I, you know, anyway. And as Julie is going through film school and um, she meets a man who is a little bit older than her, who is from the sort of upper crust, which means something very different in England than it means here. You know, I mean, he wears loafers with <laughs> tassels and eats in these clubs and they fall in love. Um, what am I missing? I mean, <laughs> and this relationship though is the power dynamic is kind of way off. And yet you can see, because these are both very talented actors, and he's played by Tom Burke, and is just an, just one of my favorite performances this year so far. You know, he's kind of a controlling older man, but he also just thinks she's fabulous and sort of like forces her to be a little bit more assertive and who she, who she is, but he's got some secrets. <laughs> it's a big movie. It's, there's a lot going on in it. Yeah. Um, I have not summed it up at all. Just read my article. <laughs> In the new issue. Um, yeah. If you, <laughs> if you talk about uh, sort of the events of it, it doesn't really mm -hmm. um, describe the uh, impact of it. And it works in this sort of slow accumulation of details. That's how it worked for me anyway, is, you know, it's almost like, it's like an act of memory. It's, um, it is like Joycean in that, you know, he looks he, in portrait of the artist. He's like, well, let me look at my sort of schooling and the nursery rhymes that I loved as a child and the political stuff that happened. And it all sort of becomes this. And by the end of portrait of the artist, the prose starts to fragment and become personal. And suddenly he's speaking with an eye, the eye. It's like, it's, mm. it, that is the journey of the artist and the next book that comes is Ulysses. I mean, it's like you have to kind of get your act together to then become who you are supposed to be. And that's, this is portrait of the artist as a young woman, in my opinion. And the fact that she's working on a sequel to that what's happening next in this young woman's life is very, very exciting. I can't wait. Yeah. 
no pressure, but I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm really intrigued also by the idea of a sequel because it also just seems in keeping with the whole accomplishment and, and, and mission of it, which is that in, in the souvenir part one, she doesn't let this story of the, the, the older man with secrets take over her, the, the, the young woman, her, her surrogate's story. And then the fact that she's doing a second half, it's just kind of like doubling down the commitment to her story is going to continue, you know, right. and so I really like that. But it was funny when, when I saw it at Sundance at its premiere and when that came up, it comes up at the end, right? It says, it's almost like coming soon, the souvenir part two. And people laughed because I guess because the notion of after such like a emotionally like, you know, serious and, and devastating movie that you're going to have part two. You well, know? It feels like, you know, like the, the superhero comic book, like the franchise. It's yeah. like, you know, little glimpses of what's coming up. Yeah. And um, but if you're like hooked in. If you're hooked into this and how it ends is this young woman kind of, you know, it's her first love and first heartbreak is really mm -hmm. one aspect of this is she, yeah. she's clearly never been in love before. This is a love affair. It's about a love affair and a heartbreaking, heartbreaking one, because if you've ever loved someone who is self-destructive or you can't save them, that's a lot of what it's about. But I don't know. So so yeah, it, it yeah. is an aspect of it and it, it's disturbing because it, it, this relationship separates her from her peers in a way it mm. separates her, you know, everybody else is kind of having parties and probably screwing around with each other and all this stuff. And she is going to Venice to the opera because he's paying for it and giving her a gown. And that sounds wonderful. It sounds wonderful, but <laughs> it's not wonderful at all, yeah. you know? And she's, she's such an interesting character. It was really interesting what you're saying that it's like, it's a movie that's, is, is a memory, you know, it's, it's like done, you know, the scenes have the feel of recollecting and kind of distilling what happened in that scene. And then maybe they're often even dominated by like a couple of lines. So it's like, oh, I remember when that happened because you said X, Y, Z, you know, and, and like their first date, which is in this just palatial I'm sure what's totally ordinary for him, like this palatial, uh, I don't know what to call it. Club? I mean, Tea yeah, with like cafe, a place. marble busts around. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's like a museum room with no paintings on the walls, basically. <laughs> and, you know, and he's saying stuff that, you know, just was seared into her mind afterwards. You know, I, I mean, I, I wrote down like a couple of the quotes, but I, I couldn't really keep up with what he was saying. But it's it's like. And these are quotes from his real. A, a lot of. She, I mean, it's clearly about yeah. a man that she loved. Joanna Hogg loved. She's quoting from him throughout. Yeah. yeah I mean, she said letters. that in your interview. Yeah. Yeah. From letters and, and things. I mean, I think in, in, in the case of some of the dialogue. I mean, there's so much to talk about with this movie, but one, one, another aspect of it is the process that she makes them through, you know, how she makes these movies, which just hearing her talk about it each time, you just think like, everybody's trying to do what you're doing and it's failing. Right. Um, this idea where she, it's, again, you don't want to use like the word improvisation, but she's giving them a ton of information and backstory and materials, but basically is letting them create or like, I don't know, generate the dialogue from the characters that, that the, as, as they've understood it, as, as, as they've digested, she's often used the word digested, like they digest all this and then they were able to like generate this dialogue. And I think this dialogue in this scene actually is Tom Burke just kind of like channeling, channeling her. Yeah. And it's, it's stuff like, you know, 
we don't want to just see life, um, but we want you know, something like that. We don't want to just see life on screen. We want to see it as experienced by this soft machine, which feels like a very 80s word. And then there's the band soft machine. <laughs> but anyway, just, you know, it's just stuff like that. I kept on writing it, you know. You know, he says he likes Powell and Pressburger because they're truthful without being real. Um, I mean, this is a movie that like actually made me think of your column a little bit when I was preparing for this, the Infinite Chess column, because this is a movie that sometimes doubles as criticism. Like there's criticism in the writing of the, of, of the movie. Um, well, it's an interesting thing. It's like if you're going to be an artist... I mean, there are many different ways to be an artist, you know, and going to something like film school or imagine like an MFA creative writing program. I mean, there's like, you know, there's like so much criticism about how people come out of those programs sounding alike. You can recognize. And I mean, David Foster Wallace would write about this all the time, you know, sort of like you're in a, in an environment, you know, an environment where you're learning stuff and it's important to learn stuff and it's important to get peer criticism. But, um, and so you're seeing her in film school. I'd love all of the fil- other, her other film students and just, they all yeah. just feel so real and, you yeah. know, they're arguing about stuff and, um, arguing about, you know, the shower scene in psycho and, and, she, you know, it takes, it, it takes a while to realize, okay, she doesn't, her idea that she keeps working on is about a mother and a son in the shipbuilding industry as the shipbuilding industry um, disintegrates. And she is continuously interrogated. Um, now, I haven't seen it since I've reviewed it, so it's been a while. But, you know, interrogated by her mentors and by other people like, why do you want to do this? Mm-hmm. Why do you want to do this? She's open about how she comes from... Again, class in England is different than, I mean, it's the same thing. It would be like her parents are from Greenwich or something, but mm-hmm. way more. I mean, they have like <laughs> yeah. uh, an entire, it's like they li- own Middle Earth. I mean, that's what their <laughs> house looks like. And, the, you know, and, uh, and Tilda Swinton yeah. plays her mother, who is actually Honor Swinton Burns' mother, and is also Joanna Hogg and her started out together back in the, Mm-hmm. You know, um, so they were like best friends. I didn't realize the extent of it until yeah. I saw part of a screening here at the Film at Lincoln Center that, yeah, they were best friends. And that basically the young friend that we get a glimpse of in the movie is basically Tilda Swinton. Like when they're talking on the couch. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's basically amazing. Yeah. <laughs> amazing. But but anyway, so like, how do you say, well, you know what? I'm actually I'm going to, um, you know, she's embarrassed by her privilege. She owns her apartment building. I mean, she, you know, she's not um, the same as her peers. And so is someone like that not allowed to be an artist? Or is someone like, you know, of course they're allowed. Anyone that's open, do it. But she has to figure out her own way. And that aspect of it, the, the what kind of artist do I want to be? part of it, which has to do with the Fragonard painting. It has to do with, um, her, uh, the music that she listens to the political feeling in England at that time, all of that. I mean, we all, we all could write a story like this. We don't because we don't, we aren't Joanna Hogg, but like (laughs) everyone has those things that impact us. The top Mm -hmm. 40 songs we were listening to in high school that now still, bring you back to this memory and that 
element is what I think the film does so well. And like you say, it's like it's what people try to do. And it's very difficult to do yeah. without being obvious about it. Um, yeah, I just want to I wanted to say that this film explicitly foregrounds class. Um, it's right there from the beginning. And I think that that is what any artwork about the creation of artwork has to do because these things are inseparable. How can you be an artist creating anything without interrogating yourself? And if you're interrogating yourself, then you're interrogating your social status. Um, and I think that Joanna Hogg has been doing that through all of her films. Through all the films, I mean, right. we, we can return to those a bit later. I have just been rewatching them. I, I love her movies so much. Um, but that kind of self-interrogation is so, that's so central to this movie, I think is actually, though necessary, quite rare. And especially in such a, I don't, it's not that it's self-excoriating, but it's, it takes itself to task. It doesn't let anyone off the hook at the same time. It has amazing compassion for everybody. I watched it again this weekend and I, I have to say, I was very overwhelmed by it. Um, I like, you know, we can talk about this movie as a, a film about art, a film about the creation of art. And it, it has, it touches all these things. Like we're saying, it's about so many things while being so simple, but it's, the way that it depicts this central relationship, the inexorable lurch towards doom of this relationship is extremely powerful. Um, by the time it hits those last scenes, I was really a mess, actually. This is the second time I've watched it. I think, you know, for there are personal reasons, um, but I think anyone, if you're really paying attention, could be touched by this. I think a lot of movies that are about addiction and about the difficulties of loving someone who who's an addict tend to fall back on cliches and tend to have common narrative arcs and they hit certain points. This doesn't do that. This really very gradually gets you into the mindset of a person who for whom there is no choice and there's no way out. If you love someone who's going through this, it's not so simple. People are going to be yelling at the screen dump the jump, right? It's not simple. It's not that simple. It doesn't happen like that. This person, yeah. um, the Tom Burke character, played Anthony, comes out of the gate like the most obnoxious mansplainer of all time, right? They're sitting in that restaurant. He's telling her things that might be true, but the way that he says it and the, the crazy uh, intonations that he has and the, 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 the pacing of the way he speaks um, and that accent... Um, they put you off instantly. I think they intentionally put you off. But as the film continues, and, and then you also see that he's an addict and he does terrible things to her because of this addiction, you are thinking, when is she going to wise up? I'm doing air quotes, wise up and get rid of him. But as the film progresses, you also realize that she loves him more and more. And when you love someone who's going through that, it's not so easy to just let them go. And I can't think of another film that gets at that so so brilliantly and movingly. By the time, I mean, I think I said it in my article, it's like everyone can see the red flags in the future, you know, and falling in love means ignoring red flags. I mean, you know, how else is any of it going to work if you don't go, oh, you know, hopefully it's not so toxic that you're going to be like, you know, murdered and thrown into a lake, but you know, certain things like, Oh, he's a little bit this, you know, okay. Well you can say, well, that's a deal breaker for me. Or, you know, there was enough about him 
what was so interesting about their dynamic is that, and the way Hogg films things with very little close-ups mm-hmm. telling you, you know, pointing you into how mm-hmm. you're supposed to mm-hmm. take stuff. She, sta- she sort of stands back. And so you see them sitting at that table and you have to kind of interpret it. And so you're going to have many different, wildly different interpretations of it. Monica um, Castillo's review at Ebert is is really good because she said she said that she had an initial reaction or maybe she said this on Twitter I can't remember but she had an initial reaction to it when she saw it at I'm not sure first and then she saw it again and was like you know flattened so she like had this you know it works on a very personal I think it does work on a very visceral especially if you've had some experience I would say if you've had your heart broke a couple times if you've known an alcoholic or an addict which I mean everybody does probably you can see it coming. You can see, you can see, but but you can also see, and this is him, which I said in my thing too. You can see why she loves him, and it's not just she's a blind, naive girl. It's that there's something about who she gets to be with him, and that the irony of that and the brilliance of that in the film is that you come to realize that the worse he is and the worse he gets and the worse things that he does because you feel trapped along with her character. And just to, and yeah, I love that you bring up the distance that she creates from with the camera. She does this in all of her films. Um, with this particular plot, that distance feels especially difficult. And I just want to talk quick, quickly about something that I think that she, that she does narratively and visually towards the end of this movie that I can't imagine any other director ever doing. And that's the sign of a great filmmaker, right? You watch a scene and you think no one would ever direct a scene that way. And this is, um, it really blows my mind to tell you the truth. Like towards the end of the movie, when this is talking around a little bit to not spoil things too much, but there's a scene towards the end where Anthony is not around. Let's say he's missing and Tilda Swinton, as the mother, comes to stay with the daughter to comfort her and be there for her. And the, and, and the easy camaraderie of mother and daughter between those two is so intensely moving to watch. Um, and then Julie goes downstairs to put a note on the door. And the camera stays with the mother upstairs when she goes out. And you can see everything on Tilda Swinton's face. Everything, right? In this, of course, it's her, so she does it subtly, but just the subtlest of gestures, um, the, the, the concern she has for her daughter, the concern she has for Anthony, the unimaginably strange situations she's suddenly in. But instead of following the protagonist downstairs, putting the note on the door, the, we just stay with the mother while she waits and hopes that the daughter will just come back fast and safe. And she does. Nothing dramatic necessarily happens in that moment, but it's all in the fact that she kept the camera on that character, on the mother. I, I, honestly, I can't, I've never seen anything like that in a movie. And, and then knowing what happens next makes it even more poignant and sad. And from that point on, the movie is just like one like visual mic drop after another. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, there's, yeah. can, can, I, can I just say, oh, yeah. there's the second, there, the, the, the last two shots of this movie are extraordinary. The second to last shot, is, there will not be a better shot in a movie this year. Remind me. You talk about it a bit in your piece. Okay. Um, oh, the, the camera crew. There, there's, it's, it's, a double, it's a double track in. So she's filming her movie and you see the crew on the track uh, moving to the left of the frame 
towards the actress who they're filming, who is, you know, and you could say it's like a surrogate for her, while the camera of the movie itself is tracking in on, on Julie. What an I mean, what a visual idea! Yeah, what an idea! And and I was talking. About, I went to so I went to see it again this past weekend with my husband because I had seen it at a critic screening, um, but I wanted to see it with him. And um, so you know, we paid to see. We went to BAM. We paid to see it with an audience, and um, the hush in the theater was so much more. I was so much more aware of it, seeing it with an audience of paying people. You know, you could hear a pin drop. And when that, when that shot happened, you know, you're not aware if everyone's watching it is like aware of the, the technical things that are happening or the, the, the bravura flourish of the visual idea, but you know that they're feeling something very, very strong. And I, and I, and I just kind of, I let out a little gasp. And, um, and then afterwards I was talking to, um, talking to my husband and, and we both said like that shot was so amazing that you kind of hope it's the last shot, right? Cause you always want the last shot to be great, but there is one more shot and it's, and it's a fucking reversal <laughs> of the searchers. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, yeah, her, you know, this, this door opens, she's framed in the door, silhouetted. And it's, it's so everything you want showbiz. in movies. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's, you know, jazz hands. I mean, to me. <laughs> it's showtime. It's know? our version of jazz hands. <laughs> By the way, she loves all that jazz. Well, Just I wanted, wanted to bring that up because oh. we, um, when I was researching this, I, you know, all that jazz comes up in almost every single interview that she does. She t and New York, New York, you know, which you can feel the influence of both of these things here. Two of the best movies ever made. <laughs> you know, and they're yes. both about art, you know, and Joanna Hogg's movies are often about, I mean, exhibition. Anyway, they're, you know, they're about people who are creating, you know, sort of creating things. And you know, all that jazz. I mean, I was thinking you were, we were talking just a little bit before about like other sort of autobiography, you know, films that mm -hmm. are autobiography, you know, that one came up just because she references it all the time. And, and because he's, um, Fosse is like theatricalizing his, I mean, it's, you know, ego doesn't even come close to what is going on in, in all that jazz, which is why it's so, so riveting it's like i am interested in myself and let's be honest most of us are mostly interested in ourselves you know what i mean i'm sorry um and if you're going you know there's a kind of um art that is sort of about that i mean i'm thinking of james joyce again you know mm. the man never lived in ireland after he left and all he wrote about was ireland and himself you know um mm. now you could say there's a big world out there, sure. But for artists, you know, what are you creating out of? And so the, all that jazz, um, there's the scene in all that jazz where he is trying to get this dance move right. And it's, you know, and it's a crowded dance studio filled with dancers who are all just staring at him. And... He's not happy with it. He's sort of being abusive to the dancers. He's abusing himself. And then he finally sort of, and he keeps trying it himself. And then finally there's a breakthrough and it's broken up because of how Fosse films things. It's, you know, there's broken up with other, th other little bits of scenes. But I love that sequence because it's, it's, you know, art is like razzmatazz jazz hands. Hey, <laughs> you know, let's, let's close out 
um, the souvenir with like the most show busy. And for me, show business is a compliment. Like I want, (laughs) I love it when people are that sort of vibe of, yes, we're making a movie and where it's, it's like the, the glamor of it. And we love it. And we love, um, but what is that process and what is the personal process behind an artist who's making the choices that they make? And this is the thing that biopics often or biopics don't get into. They get into what happened, but they don't get into, right. you know, why or how, how did Fosse come up with certain things? And that one scene and all that jazz where he's like, you know, really working stuff out and unhappy an un, a, a dissatisfied artist um, because it's not, it's not the expression isn't right yet. And he's obsessed. He's obsessed with how to put it into expression. And I, I see a lot of that in the souvenir. I appreciate it so much. And there's, and there are more films, uh, autobiographical films about the artistic process from the perspective of somebody who has, you know, achieved so much and they're going to look at their mm. artistic, their, their whole life and, you know, the Fellini and, and, um, apparently the new Almodovar, you know, mm-hmm. but th- in this film, she's looking at it from this incredibly young, you know, quote unquote, naive perspective where she doesn't really understand anything about the world. When she, when she sees her, um, boyfriend's track marks on his arm, she doesn't know what they are. Maybe she right. just thinks it's some sort of weird, you know, scab, <laughs> some infection. Um, and the movie does try to like play up her naivete over and over again. Um, maybe, yeah, maybe too much. And sometimes you think like, oh, can, can anybody be, you know, that naive? <laughs> but I think that that's what, that's what yeah. she's doing on purpose, right? She wants yeah. you to realize that like the, the, the process of growth, the process of, you know, real, self-realization first, yeah. and artistic understanding hasn't really begun yet. Yeah. And the world that she, when you finally do go home to her home, you see the bubble. I mean, she's talked about her bubble. She yeah. says, I don't want to stay in my bubble. Mm-hmm. I think it's the first scene. She's talking mm-hmm. to her you know, advisor at film school. Mm-hmm. He's like, so what are the, what's about the ship industry? And now what are you right. doing? You know, he's looking at this girl yeah. and she said, well, I just don't want to stay in my bubble, which of course is, that's good. Part of being an artist is coming out of your bubble, but you realize the extent of the bubble when mm-hmm. you go home with her. But what's also interesting in that scene is that it's another example. This when they first go home and they're having dinner on the table with, with, with the mother and father. <laughs> it's another example of how none of these people are just types Right. Mm-hmm. It would be so easy if, you know, the asshole addict boyfriend with the upper crusty accent was just, you know, pure evil. Wouldn't it be great <laughs> if we could just write people off? Wouldn't right, that be right. so much easier if we could just say, oh, we don't care about him. He's he's horrible. He's evil. Well, OK. Right. And yeah. if Julie were, you know, just a kind of, you know, unformed nothing who one day will become something or if the mother were just this um, horrifyingly conservative matriarch. But within that scene, she shows that she has a sort of nuanced view of the world. And she has a little argument with her husband about what's going the on with IRA, the IRA. Yeah. Yeah. And it's fascinating because those <laughs> are probably the kinds of conversations that t- took place in many houses. It wasn't just, it could have so easily been a scene of parody where they're eating their, you know, sprigs of asparagus and, and, and talking about how horrible these Irish are. Right. That's really not what happens. It's, um, and it just made me, it, it made me think of how infrequently we see depictions of class like that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I, and, and even, I think that extends even to her interest in, in Sunderland or whatever, wherever it is, which, which is 
she, I mean, they don't depict her as like some like Cub Scout Ken Loach or something, you know, who wants to, you know, and they don't make fun of that. She's interested in it. Um, it's more just, frankly, maybe a bit of a bit of a mystery also that, that you can become focused on a particular thing. I mean, yeah, the, the class is, is interesting and and also how it explains and, and doesn't explain things, you know, and just the mystery of where the artistic understanding you're, com you're talking about comes from even. It seems like a lot of the movie for me was, was, was about that too. Just like A doesn't lead to B. I mean, yeah, it's, you know, exactly. it's really not, especially when you're talking about, which it seems what Joanna Hogg is trying to do is show the development portrait of the artist as a young woman. So you sort of, you go, Oh, remember, Oh, these letters were really, these letters, he wrote these beautiful letters to me, this man, mm -hmm. whoever this man was, who is now Tom Burke playing this Tony guy. Mm -hmm. And we hear his letters over just these still shot, you know, still oh, yeah. shots of trees and sunset. And it's like haunting, mm -hmm. you know, um, especially it was a time when you wrote letters. You know, I have letters from my Tony, you know, I've still kept them. And there's, how do you absorb these things and use them or... Or, or not, and do things look differently? You know, you're looking back on yourself. You're filming. That's what's so interesting about this. So Joanna Hogg is like behind the camera with this young actress. How do you let go yeah. of your idea of who? And it seems like she had no hesitation. She met her and was like, oh, she's yeah. my girl. Mm -hmm. She's the one. Yeah. And I'm going to hand it. Because of her style, how she sort of holds the camera back and lets people come in and out Julie's apartment. It's just like the way she frames it. It's like, you feel like you live there and they move in and out of the frame and you just, uh, I don't know. It's very unique. I, it, it is very unique. Pick up your copy of the new issue of film comment with features on Joanna Hogg's the souvenir, Olivier Assayas's nonfiction, Mindy Kaling's late night and an in-depth look at the language of lenses plus a tribute to Agnes Varda, a special section on the 50th anniversary of Film Society of Lincoln Center, a reassessment of a Mexican auteur, and reviews of new, forthcoming, and streaming releases, and much more. Subscribe today at filmcomment.com. Present Tense is a new filmcomment.com column by me, Sheila O'Malley, where I write about the various intersections of film, literature, art, and culture covering everything from Frank O'Hara's movie poems to David Foster Wallace on Marlon Brando to the subtextual romance of Ripley and Hicks in James Cameron's Aliens. Check out Present Tense and other regular columns like Feeling Seen, April Wolf's Classified, and Imogen Sarah Smith's Phantom Light on filmcomment.com. I also wanted to say just this idea of... Um, you know, these, these people in your life who are so important to you and they teach you so much and they come and go. Um, I think w when that souvenir part two thing comes up at the end <laughs> that, you know, that we all kind of laugh about, a yeah. lot of people laugh about, I actually think it's incredibly powerful if you actually stay to the end of the credits because mm -hmm. it's, it's telling you as an audience member, this process is not over. Mm -hmm. Like she, have, she may have come to... A, an important point in her life. She went through this experience, but this is the first step on a journey of self-awareness and self-knowledge that will continue. And I just seeing that part two is, I just think it's incredibly powerful. I mean, not only do I just want to see more because it's, I love watching her movies, yeah. but I, I, um, I, I leave the theater thinking that this is a, this is a process. This is not a complete story. And I think that's, 
a really interesting choice that she made. Yeah. Um, and I was just watching some of her films again, um, her earlier films again over the past few days. And yeah, I'm just they curious. all feel this way. Yeah, but what's it like watching them now, you know, having seen the souvenir, you know? It really does. It, I mean, the experience of the films stay the same because they're so yeah, wonderful. Right. <laughs> but um, it does, knowing more about an artist through their autobiographical uh, fictions does help you yeah. kind of understand what they're doing more. And certainly the depiction of class in such films and all of them, but definitely unrelated in archipelago. Um, it, it feels, it feels more central, more heightened, more self-aware, um, unrelated in case uh, people haven't seen it. And it is going to be playing at film and Lincoln center this summer as part of, um, oh, a, okay. they're doing a series called, um, 21st century debuts and that they're going to be showing that as one of like the great debuts of this. So people have a chance to see it on the big screen. Um, that movie is very unusual, I think in the perspective unrelated. Mm. Um, it's about this, um, I think you know, 40 something woman, I believe who, who we don't really know much about her when the movie starts, which is really important to the structure structure of that film. And she's vacationing with friends in Italy and I, the opening shot, she's like walking down this dark, dark road with her, you know, um, with her suitcase on wheels, dragging <laughs> behind her on a gravel road. And you just see her illuminated by a car that just passes her by. You're like, who was this woman on this dark road in the middle of nowhere? And she finally arrives at this house and she's sort of like not very warmly greeted by the people there. And you realize that's because the people greeting her are the the, the younger generation, they're like the, her yeah. friends, kids and their friends. Yeah. It's such an interesting way to start the movie because what the movie ends up being about is that she connects or tries to connect only to these kids. She's kind of like stuck in between yeah. like generally, generationally she's in a, you realize she's in a difficult point in her life. And so she's, um, she's attracted to this Tom Hiddleston <laughs> character. His name is Oakley. Who would be? It's like, Oakley yeah, is the to die for. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, therefore. So it's like her friend invites her on vacation mm -hmm. and she ends up hanging out with the friend's son and his kids. I mean, yeah. it's kind of obnoxious, you know. It's, it's kind of hard to watch, right? It, yeah, kind of, it is. It's, it's sort of skin yeah. crawling in a way. Yeah. Um, but as the film continues in a similar way to this, to the souvenir, I think that she does this in all of her films. Whatever strange, obnoxious behavior that people have always flips around and you feel nothing but compassion and care mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. these people because they're going through a lot of stuff. Yeah. And um, that one that one really, really gets me. For a first film, also the way that she directs, the way she... Will All there, every yeah, single thing. Yeah. Set up a frame, yeah. give people sort of like a scenario and beats to hit, sort of, and then just let the characters inhabit a space yeah. and it just... I don't know how many takes she ends up doing, but it always gets to that point where something strange or funny or unusual, you know, or scary then happens. Like off screen, like the, he has this fight with oh someone my God. and it happens in a couple of her films, like off screen, like with, yeah. with Tilda sitting by herself, the big thing is happening off screen. Mm. Sometimes you can hear it. Mm -hmm. You hear the fight that you've been wanting to see. That's the other thing. She sort of puts you on yourself. You know, you are, I am aware of, Oh, I really wanted to see that fight and she's not letting me see it, but I could hear it off screen. Yeah. And it's very, I mean, it's very obviously real because, you know, you're not going to cut into the fight. It's like this whole family is hanging out on the beach and you're hearing this horrible thing going down off screen, like horrible. You're right. There, there are, all the movies have some, some element of that 
Yeah. Um, exhibition is literally about people living in different spaces of a house. So things are always happening off screen because yeah. the other person's always in the other part of the house. It's a husband and wife. Yeah, they talk by intercom. <laughs> yeah, they talk by intercom. Um, Archipelago has a lot of that. Like there's a dinner scene where, because the father, it's about a family mm-hmm. and they're also on vacation for summer <laughs> before the sun goes away at the Isle of Seely, I think it's called. Yeah, and they're vacationing and it's like, it's, it looks like it's March. It's freezing. They're having a picnic and they're all right. in there like parkas <laughs> on the beach. It's like, guys, maybe just stay and inside. It's, it's a tiny like, island <laughs> yeah. off the Southwest of England that you have to get to by like helicopter. It's so, <laughs> the movie is so upsetting. Um, but towards the end of the yeah. film and you know, you think you've, you think maybe things have settled down. Um, at the mother is, um, off screen having a fight with the absent father oh, while God. the rest are trying to have dinner <laughs> and you only, you see them eating dinner while the mother is screaming on the phone in the other room. Uh, and, and yes, unrelated has a scene like that because all that happened when something like that seems like it's about to happen in the souvenir. Um, I think she does a really shocking thing, which is what she, when she, it's just, she shows it. And I think that's mm-hmm. what's maybe different about the souvenir generally is that she's, a, it's a little more, um, it's a little less evasive and it's a little more in your face and it will, it will and confront the things. There are close ups of, uh, mm-hmm. which yes. I, I think unrelated has almost none. I mean, Every I once think, in a while yeah. there's something in the, but when you have one, you get, so like you really uh, study the really face while you have it. You're like while have I have it. the face here, I better the study the face. for me felt very much about her face yeah. and his face. Those two. Yeah, it's when well, and there's a scene again. I'm, I'm maybe I have given away too much, <laughs> but there's a scene where she's lying in bed and she starts to hear these horrible, horrible sounds coming from upstairs in the souvenir, coming from upstairs. Mm-hmm. And I really thought, okay, well, we're not going to see what that is, but you do see what that is, and it's the most horrifying scene in the film. Something that I just won't forget, and brilliantly performed by um, by both of them. So yeah, there's 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 um, something about the autobiographical nature, the daring of the souvenir, her willingness to dive into this part of her life also unleashes or unlocks um, like a different kind of visual, a slightly different kind of visual idea, like a willingness to show it, a willingness to go there. And um, I don't know, she's she's really yeah. a special filmmaker. Yeah, no, it really is that she's she's challenging herself to take another leap with with this film and that's in keeping with the movie itself in a way that, you know, it's about pushing forward. And I don't know, I, 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 I love this movie and I love her movies and this is kind of meta, but it kind of makes me angry that she's not like better known and that she's not like even more respected because I feel like so much of what she's doing, I, I said, I said this earlier, I guess, but is, is stuff that everyone else is always trying to do in terms of like the technique uh, of how it's made, but also just what she's, she's doing with long takes. Like, I don't know, like, <laughs> maybe, yeah, I, I came of age in the past 15, 20 years where like the, the long take and like, you know, festival arts cinema, cinema is, 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 is like de rigueur and just, and, you know, often used to inflict something on you or, you know, you know, and I just feel like she has actually perfected a version of it here that is just magnificent of, of a kind of, of a, yeah, of, of like a movie making that's really based on, on the, on these long takes. And I just, I just want to give her like total absolute credit for that. You know, um, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Yeah. You, you go to, this is, this is, I guess a film critic's 
point or topic more <laughs> yeah. than anything. But it does filter its way down to the to the art cinemas, I guess. You yeah, you go to these festival films or you yeah. go to see art house films, and there is like you say, de rigueur. There's like a yeah. an approach. You know, if it's if it's a long take, if it's a, if it's a static shot, yeah. um, somehow there's some sort of meaning imbued, and more often than not, it's actually just t- tedious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she's one of the filmmakers yeah. who actually finds the truth in, in that it, It's interesting having to write about it. Um, hmm. I feel like even just talking about it, I'm not describing it well, but it, it, having to write about it, you really have to write about the effect. You have to really think about, okay, why is this working and what mm-hmm. is she doing that it works? And it reminds me of, of Ozu, which is, it comes up mm. all the time. You have, really mm. have to think about, okay, the image, like, okay, she... What information am I getting from the frame and what is she doing? It sounds very sort of academic and that's not really sort of my approach, but I, there is something mysterious that's here that I love, you know, so I could put a camera at the end of the room and have people walk in and out, (laughs) but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, why is this this amazing? You know, it's her, um, she really knows what she's doing. I don't know. Yeah. And it's very exciting to watch. And she knew it from Unrelated. I mean, you feel it with Unrelated. That's a bold movie that doesn't look bold. But you watch it and you go, oh, okay, she's not pushing into these people. She's not. And yet I'm getting everything. I'm mm-hmm. getting all of the subtleties that's going on. And when in the, at the end, when you realize what's really going on with her, you're like, oh, that's why. Mm-hmm. That's what mm-hmm. was happening with her. I think that Archipelago has She gives has the a actors a thing. lot of power. Mm-hmm. She does. And you need to you know, like in um, Archipelago with uh, Tom Hiddleston sort of being like, well, I'm a rich man, but I'm going to now befriend the cook. I mean, oh, the way God. he plays oh, it, yes. I'm going to just be all lovely with the cook. And she's Super like, casual. please let me wash the dishes. Like, you're paying me to be here. You don't <laughs> don't put your class stuff on me. This is my job, right? No close-ups. No, it feels improvisation. And I went back and watched it again. And it took, takes you a while to realize, oh, this is what he's doing. He's kind of trying to show his family. Anyway, it's so subtle. And the actor has got to know what they're doing to play that. You have to have an actor, like a stage. You, when the lights go up in theater, the actor's in charge. You have to have actors who can handle playing subtlety like that so that the audience gets it. Um, yeah. She's really in tune with that though. Like she's a very good Kazan was like that too. You know, mm. it's like you have to kind of cast well and then let this know what exactly what event you're doing and then have people play their subtext as hard as the text and then you're going to get mm-hmm. this sort of layered life. It looks like life experience, but people who are only like film nerds who care about the, you know, you have to kind of understand storytelling on some other level. But I think I, I, no, you're right. And I think that each actor becomes an element in the frame as much as they become an element in the narrative and and you, you do grow to care about them and, and, and wonder about them and worry about them. But there is something, and I was thinking about this when I was watching Archipelago, um, there is something about the way that she has like a painterly, uh, like approach to film that's something that's like an overused term but because archipelago like mm-hmm. foregrounds yeah. painting is actually like its main motif right, yeah. i couldn't stop thinking about to the lighthouse you know virginia wolf's novel which is kind of um based around the creation of art as much as about the 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 you know liming the strange contours of the strange family and you know that book ends with the painting being finished and uh, archipelago 
sort of start it's the first shot is is of a is of a painting being uh, worked on and this kind of happens in ways over the course of the of, of the of the narrative and then finally um hanging up on the wall crooked at the end um the, those i mean there are a lot of different paintings being happening because the, the family has hired a painter to live with them over the summer to help to teach them paint. <laughs> and then they took that painting off the wall, though, right? Remember, they took up the painting off the wall. Oh, yeah. That they when it, disturbing. Yeah, when it starts, the, there's like a big hole, or you know, where the, <laughs> the wall where the painting used to be. And then when you see what they took down, you can see why they took it down because it is a very disturbing painting. <laughs> but when, yeah. once it's finished, you know, once yeah. the film's finished, you do feel like she has painted in every corner of that frame. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's just it's yeah. all creation. It's all about yeah. there even if the movie like not like this like the souvenir, if it's not explicitly about the creation of art, they're all about like finishing that frame. Yeah. And, every and that element exhibition being is is obviously about another one of her you know obsessions or mm -hmm. interests, which is architecture, which mm -hmm. you can also feel in every single one of her films. She's she, and she said it in your interview with her, something like I'm very um, interested in houses oh, yeah. and oh, the yeah, interiors, and yeah. interiors yeah. and, yeah. um, She's, which yeah. sounds like every filmmaker would say that. And every filmmaker yeah. would, you know, every, of course everyone cares about set decoration and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. But when you see exhibition and her sort of sensitivity to that house and that weirdness of the house, yeah. um, and how it, this couple moves through the house. See, my problem is as I'm talking about this, I feel like I sound, I'm like, I'm making it sound not as interesting as it is <laughs> that I'm making it, that it's sound sort of abstract or cerebral, which for me, the, mm. um, effect is opposite. Yeah. It's like portrait of the artist or as a young man or all that jazz, which, James Joyce would be like, what? Um, but, you know, like <laughs> uh, an artist kind of wrestling with the stuff they've been given, the world they've been born into, the parents they've been given, the religion. I mean, Portrait of the Artist is like, I'm going to take on my country, religion, and my family. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to dispense with one of them, each of them, one by one, so that I can be the artist that I am. I'm going to kill all of them, which he does you know, and is then left with the eye, the personal person, you know, and that, that's what I feel she has been doing, um, mm. which then is so fascinating that it would end with this sort of showbiz to me as a compliment, um, <laughs> you know, reverse searchers, Caravaggio ending of, you know, the souvenir, Cause it's like, I can't wait to see what happens next. Yeah. You yeah, know what I mean? Really? I can't wait. Same here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, we, we could plausibly end it there. I, um, a, a movie that came to mind while I was thinking about this a bit more and I don't, is Roma. And just thinking about what each of these movies are really setting out to do and what that one for me was like over setting out to do, like what happens when we think about it? I don't know, alongside that movie a little, because Roma being a movie that, you know, also very obsessively um, autobiographical to the extent that he's recreating his house, much as Jonah Hogg is, and it's very detailed and in, in a kind of very fraught period of time, politically as well. Um, 
but kind of displacing the character, displacing experience to another different character. Class throughout it, but maybe not dealt with in a way that makes as much sense, at least to me. I don't know. What, what happens when we think about Roma for a second? Well, I mean, the, the obvious the obvious instant response is yeah. that Roma, is, a film that I like, mm-hmm. uh, Roma is trying to get into the perspective of someone who's definitely not the filmmaker, right? Mm-hmm. So the souvenir mm-hmm. explicitly is from the perspective of the character who is the filmmaker surrogate, yeah. whereas Roma is trying to get sort of in the mind of, but or maybe just from the distanced perspective of, you know, the housemaid that... Right raised him um and i think in that way it's it's more of a it's more of a tribute film to a person that he loved rather than um truly autobiographical and i think that's maybe where a lot of the uh debate kind of came from because obviously issues around class and perspective and gender um were were kind of exploded around that film's um, release but also you know cuaron is such a maximalist that he can't not do those like bravura set pieces. Like when, when Joanna Hogg does a bravura set piece, it's like one camera tracking this way and one camera <laughs> tracking that way. And I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. When Quaron does it, you know, he, he has to burn a whole forest down. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that was cool. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I mean, the huge grand sweeping gestures yeah. of Roma um, have their place and it's a very beautiful film, but it could never, it could never hit, me and many people, I would assume, on an emotional level, the way the souvenir does. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not even trying to say one is better than the other, but I'm just curious, thinking about the kind of autobiographical, autofiction kind of impulse. Yeah, know, well, I mean, I mean well, I, yeah, it, to me, I, I felt it, um, and I loved Roma, I, that it was an artist who had come to a place in his career, having done all these things where now he could do what he wanted to do, which was make this movie, which um, now, now he was in a position to imagine him to really get as personal as he wanted to get. And there is a, a way to be personal. He's revealing himself as much Maybe not as much, but he is revealing where he came from, his outsider perspective. You know, I mean, it's in the film. You can tell he's like a child and the he's it's an act of imagination. It's an act of tribute. It's um, and yet at the same time, he's also recreating his own childhood, um, not as he saw it, but as so it's 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 kind of interesting. I mean, it's interesting to see what artists, how artists make sense of where they came from Mm -hmm. and who they are and what they, the things that the events that added together to make them, them, how they made sense of the world. And, um, the answer is going to be different for every single one. Yeah. I mean, if we're talking about examples of autobiographical film, Mm -hmm. I I can't help but come back to Terrence Davies, who, um, is, you know, also British and one of the great self (laughs) anti-mythologizers. I'm trying to think of the right term. I mean, you know, his, his great films, I mean, his adaptations are personal as well, but the films that are explicitly about his childhood and about himself are, are, um, you know, very special autobiographical works, but it's interesting to think of something like the, the trilogy, the, the, the Terrence Davies trilogy, which was his first three shorts, Mm -hmm. which kind of like follow him through, through life, through an, through a partly 
real and partly imagined life or partly autobiographical, partly um, in the future. Like he made them when he was in his thirties and he, um, he started out, you know, when with children, the first, he was kind of looking at his harrowing childhood, which he would revisit in other films. Um, The death of his father, the abuse of his father coming out of the closet, hating his homosexuality. But then, he mm. made the, the two films after that, um, Madonna and Child and Death and Transfiguration, which followed his character all the way to his death. So he did this incredible thing instead of being able to, um, this was when he was starting out in his career. So instead of being able to um, go back and say, like, look at all the things I've accomplished, he made a film about how he would accomplish nothing. This is, you know, this is tragic to think about and how wonderful that he went on to be one of the great filmmakers. And many people, many people acknowledge that now that he's one of the, some people call him the greatest British filmmaker. Um, But I mean, think about that. (laughs) Think about someone who was so fearful he would never be able to do that, that he made movies about his future failures. It, you know, it ends with him dying in a hospital bed, um, having accomplished nothing. Amazing. I mean, amazing. I, I mean, I, those, I those futures are as real as, yeah. 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 And the souvenir in a way kind of has that sense. Like it could so easily have gone in a different direction. Right. Yeah. It so well, easily I could think have been too, a difficult. Yeah, she, that she, she has enough distance now. Um, well, I mean that he's, he's not a villain for being a drug addict. I mean, if you see that, you know, he's not a villain at all. He, he wrote these beautiful letters. He was her first love. And from a, so now that she's that far, that much farther away from it, she can be like a little elegiac about him. She can be tender. She can see the film would be very different if she had made it 10 years after, as opposed to 30. Yeah. You know what I mean? It sometimes this, um, and that's something that um, youth, can't know until you get there. You really can't. And no one wants to hear that, but oh, well, you know, (laughs) hopefully you'll live long enough to be able to get that sort of perspective when you sort of come out of something and you can actually go, oh, you know, it wasn't all bad or God, I loved him. God, that was awful. I, I wish that that had turned out better. Or I wish, you know, all of those different things that she felt about him are there somehow. I feel like I know him a little bit. I mean, uh, Tom Burke is incredible, but... Um, yeah, and I think apparently she did want to make it initially pretty soon, like, I don't know, turn of the 90s maybe, um, but went on a different career path eventually. So this is really something that's really just... It's of, been there a long time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she first started conceiving it in 1988, I believe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's been growing for a bit. Well, I think uh, we can uh, bring this particular chapter to a close, but there is a part two. Um, we'll have to we'll have to reconvene. We'll have to reconvene for, for part two. Um, but uh, thank you both for a wonderful discussion. Thank you. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Film Comment Podcast with music by Greg Einge. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comment. Or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle.